Welcome to the No Guilt Mom podcast. I am your host, Joanne Crone, here with my traveling. Just come back from a huge trip with me, co-host Brie Tucker. Why, hello, hello, buddy. How are you? <laughs> we had a time, Brie. We did. <laughs> oh my gosh. That was my first trip overseas yeah. and my first trip to Europe. And like you guys kept asking me what I want to do. And I'm like, I'm just happy to be here, people. <laughs> <laughs> it was a ton of fun. I hope you followed along on social media uh, when we we're out there because uh, it is so important for you as a mom to take time for yourself away from your family. And you better believe like when I left, I felt guilty the entire time. I mean, I told Brie like so many times before we left, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm leaving them. I can't believe I'm going on this fabulous trip without them. Like it was my first time actually leaving my family and having fun. Like not, it. I mean, not being a work trip. I couldn't justify it as work. It was just fun. Yeah, it was hard. Although the being divorced and, and my kids being gone for a week, like I'm used to being away from my kids for a week. It's taken mm-hmm. a few years to get there, Yeah, which actually brings us into the point of today's episode. We are. We're, it does. It's a very good segue. It was unintentional, but it works. Unintentional segue. We're talking about removing the guilt around divorce. Yeah, yeah. Because there was so much guilt, I think, not only about once you've gotten the divorce, but even getting up to that point mm-hmm. of leaving a bad relationship. And and bad can be on so many levels. It can be bad, like toxic, and it could be bad, like we're just not working together anymore. So a lot of guilt around that. And then a lot of guilt about not being a good parent because you got a divorce. But our our guest really helps with that. Yeah, her name is Erin Royer. She's the founder of Your Village, which is an online resource for parents. And she's the host of Parenting Beyond Discipline, the podcast. She gives parents tools to support their children to reach their individual potential. And she also has a book about to release called The Connected Parents Guide to Toddlerhood, Fixes for Seven Common Struggles. And uh, we hope you enjoy our conversation with Erin. As my daughter is getting older, I mean, she's almost 13, she's starting to make her own plans with friends and checking in with us all the time to see if we're busy. But we haven't had a way for her to check our calendars at the same time. And so I was so excited to find Cozy. Yes. You know what it sounds like? I smell some uh, some life skills here being learned with Cozy. Definitely, because she's learning to be considered at other people's schedules. She can see the entire family's schedule in the app. And it's all on the shared color-coded calendar. And Cozy even reminds others about events. So like me as a mom and my husband, we don't have to do the reminders anymore. I love that, especially because like when it comes down to my kids asking my permission, like, hey, do we have time to do this? Like, just look at the calendar, people. Yeah, just look at the calendar. Just look at the calendar. So this is all free in Cozy. Just download Cozy from the App Store. That's C-O-Z-I to get the free app today. Hey, if your kids are just making you crazy, like yelling all the time, you don't know why they're acting the way they act, and you think, oh my gosh, if they would only listen, or if I would only just have a few seconds for myself, I could be a more patient parent. We have a free challenge for you. You come join us. You can sign up, noguiltmom.com backslash parent challenge. It is called the Patient Parent Challenge. And all week, we are going to give you some quick action steps that you can take that'll help you maintain your sanity. So go sign up. We have a link for you in the show notes. You want mom life to be easier. That's our goal too. 
Our mission is to raise more self-sufficient and independent kids, and we're going to have fun doing it. We're going to help you delegate and step back. Each episode, we'll tackle strategies for positive discipline, making our kids more responsible and making our lives better in the process. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom Podcast. Erin, welcome to the No Guilt Mom Podcast. Bree and I have been talking. We are so excited to have you here and discussing this topic about divorce's impact on kids and how to minimize that. So welcome, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Great to meet you both. For those in our audience who don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and your story? Yes. So I have a parenting podcast myself. I started a business for parents. I have a master's degree in psychology. And as it turns out, with a lot of us who don't expect to go down this road, I found myself getting divorced about three years ago. We started having these conversations. And so I have now been working through that process myself, now about to buy my own home. So it's been a long road. So I understand that whole journey of working through that divorce process. I know talking to Brie in particular, because I have not experienced this and I'm looking to Brie for, for guidance and support into this issue. But we know that like 50% of all marriages end in divorce and odds are high that if you haven't experienced it yourself, then you have someone close to you who has experienced a divorce. There's a lot of guilt around divorce. Oh, so much guilt. We were talking about this beforehand that you were talking, Aaron, how your process took three years. I wrestled with divorce for a long, long time, but I got to say the guilt of nobody gets married with the thought process of, oh, it's okay. We just get divorced. It doesn't work out. Like I think very few people run down that path, especially if you have kids. Right. So like every time I thought about it, I was like, well, I feel guilty for my kids that I'm going to be robbing them of this experience of having a a home with two parents and, you know, me being with their dad, if we were to actually go through with this divorce. And honestly, like I had three times where I had asked for a divorce every time we would reconcile because I was like so much guilt mm -hmm. and it just, it didn't help anything. Yeah. Right. Did you also feel that guilt too, Erin? Oh, so much guilt. And there's just so many societal messages, I think, that are incorrect, but right. so many societal messages about the best family is the family that's together, the family that's, you know, whole. It's got a mom and a dad and 1.8 kids. And that's a really almost impossible measure to stand up to. And I had so much guilt and I had a lot of guilt because I got married older. You know, I did everything quote unquote correct. You know, I had a degree, I had a bachelor's degree, I had an education, I had um, a career. I was in my thirties. I met this really nice guy, everything that anybody would want. And I felt guilty because I felt like I didn't have a right to be unhappy. I felt like there was something wrong with me because I wasn't happy in this connection any longer mm -hmm. and that I just needed to work harder and try harder. And I wasn't doing enough. And I read books and I went to therapy and I did so many things to try to figure out what was wrong with me right. <laughs> that I couldn't make this work. It's till death do us part. Darn it. Yeah. <laughs> because you're right. There are so many messages about that. I mean, I remember I had a friend in college whose parents were separated, but they decided to live in the exact same house in separate bedrooms until their kids moved out. And just visiting that house, you could see like there was so much tension there and there was so much unsaid conflict and mm -hmm. stress that made me realize like 
that our society is wrong. Like the best house isn't a whole house. The best house I believe is where the adults are happy and they're giving their best to their children as well. And that looks different for everybody. That looks different for everybody. Absolutely. And I think there's a lot of households that stick it out way, way longer and the tension builds and builds and the kids feel that, you know, they can sense that. And we're just so used to feeling like I'm supposed to give everything I can until I'm practically giving myself away. And it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. And I mean, we were talking before too about everything going on with the divorce and the amount of support that you needed. And I agree with you. You, You're talking about how like you've been leaning a lot on researching and your therapy and your friends and Joanne here. She was with me through the whole thing. Like I I wouldn't have made it through without my friends because it was hard. I kind of like liken it to you've always been afraid of going off the high dive. And once you finally go up there and you jump up in the air and you no longer are on the diving board, like that's, it's just the unknown of what is going to happen. It is so scary. Mm -hmm. So scary. And it's hard seeing someone close to you go through it. Like it was hard seeing you go through it because you could see the turmoil and just the stress that comes with divorce, but you've really dug into the research on divorce and how like it affects the kids with parents staying in an unhappy relationship. Can you share what you found and how like that impacted your feelings of guilt? Yeah. So one of the things that I found is, you know, a lot of the research from the eighties, there's a lot of bias in research. So I think a lot of scientists in the eighties were trying to prove that divorce was terrible for kids. And so, you know, it was designed in a way to make it look like this is the worst thing you could do. Well, looking at some newer research from the early 2000s, they actually found that children from divorced families are just as resilient and just as successful as children from two-parent households as long as certain needs are met. And so there's four key areas that if we can meet these needs for ourselves and our children, that they can be just as successful and resilient and happy as any children from two parent homes. That's comforting, I think, to know, because I didn't know that about the research in the 80s differing from the research in the like, that very recently, it makes a lot of sense. sense. Like in the 80s, you think about all the things that we were told growing up. And and now as adults, we're all like, wait Wait a a second, this does not add up. No, this does not add up. (laughs) It doesn't add up. I've been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs even on busy mornings. And oh my gosh, has it been busy lately. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day every day and it makes me feel energized even like i still add the coffee on there because i like it a lot ag1 tastes really good too and i enjoy my glass every single morning ag1 is a supplement i trust to provide the support my body needs daily and that's why i'm excited to welcome them as a new partner if you want to take ownership of your health it starts with ag1 Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com forward slash NGM. That's drinkag1.com forward slash NGM. Check it out. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. 
The mission of TILT is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the TILT Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. So like you talk about those four things. So what is the first thing? So one of the first areas is conflict in the divorce process. So high conflict in the divorce process is what affects children quite a bit. So when they're dealing with a lot of conflict, I mean, that makes sense. It's really going to affect their mental health and their ability to be more resilient through this process as well. So if parents can keep that conflict away from the kids, even if they have it with each other, they can take to the therapist's office. I spend a lot of that going to my friends. You know, I would just go to my friends and just complain to them <laughs> when I was struggling with something. And I was able to also see my husband, my ex-husband for who he was or for what he was trying to do rather than just it being something that was against me or trying to make me upset. It was just the person that he was or he is. And I could see him more for the positive side of who he is and not make it personal about he's you know, doing this or doing that, or he's irritating in this way or that way. I imagine that would be very hard during a divorce to take like that outsider view and look at his characteristics objectively versus like assigning blame and thinking that he has this malintent the entire time. Like, how did you get through that? Cause I'm sure there's a lot of anger involved in the process. I oh, I, I'm over here shaking my yeah. head. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to take a stab here, Aaron, yeah. and say that your divorce <laughs> might have been a little bit smoother sailing than mine was. It's smoother sailing than a lot of divorces are. And we are extremely lucky. And it takes a lot of work. You guys deserve a huge medal for that because I think it's, it can be really easy to look at it. You know what else? I'm going to liken it to another thing. I'm going to liken it to before we had kids, we were all the best parents in the world, right? (laughs) We were all like, oh yeah, piece of cake. Yeah. Yeah. You're just firm with your, your consequences and your rules and your routines and there's no problems. They'll be smooth sailing. And then you have kids and you're like, what happened? (laughs) And I think the same thing with divorce, like you can look at it from a distance and go, okay, yeah, I know we need to be low conflict. We need to get along. No problem. And somewhere along the line, I know I struggled a lot with that, even though that was a big thing for me. So the fact that you guys have been able to manifest that and continue with that, like I, you're my superhero right now. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Well, I'm lucky. And I, I will say this. I did have a great partner and do have a great partner in parenting, but you bring up a good point. Like it really depends on your parenting partner as well, because I know a lot of women, when they get divorced, they struggle with their parenting partner, not being really on the same page as them or really pushing back against them and trying to keep that low conflict, I imagine is extremely difficult though, a goal to set their eyes on. Yeah, definitely. And it can be a lot harder. Like you said earlier, when there's hurt feelings involved where somebody feels like they were wronged by the other, 
Right. And that's, I think, where a lot of that comes in is, yeah. you know, it, it makes it easier to split apart if we just can't stand to be around that person. And so a lot of times we'll even bring in conflict where it doesn't need to be. It just makes it easier to just be like, I'm not failing because this is just not working. If like I can just make it feel even worse, then it's easier to walk right. away and be like, it just wasn't working versus mm-hmm. we're good friends and we're just walking away from each other. Then it's like, did I really give it everything I had. So sometimes we actually create conflict where there isn't any just to make it easier. And it's interesting how you said that, like, you know, did I really give it everything I had? There's that guilt sneaking back in there that, you know, did I do everything I was supposed to? Is this really the best option? Well, I would imagine also that would come up in instances of cheating when one spouse cheated on the other. And then that's the reason for the divorce. And having low conflict during that time might be extremely, extremely difficult and involve a lot of superpowers on behalf of women who then, like you said, need to rely even more on those things that you relied on, like therapy and their friends. Yeah. And that's a tough situation. I did some research into a therapist actually who works with couples. We were dealing with a lot of that. I did not have that situation in our household, thank goodness. But we take it personally that a personal failing that our partner turned outside to someone else. And so then there's just all those wounds that get triggered. And so, you know, if you are dealing with like a cheating situation, then it's a very personal thing about, and we're trying to face all our own wounds of what didn't I do well enough? What didn't I give enough? What didn't I? And most of the time, it's not about any of that at all. Mm -mm. Right. It's really, you know, the partner who's looking for himself or herself outside of the partnership, or, you know, they have their own struggles that they're looking to fill, you know, an addiction or, you know, instead of alcohol or workaholism, it's sometimes it's just turning to another partner and it feels new and exciting and it doesn't have anything to do with the partner at home and that they weren't enough, but we always feel like I'm not enough. And it's really hard then to not turn that back on our partner. I can't imagine having to go through that and, you know, be that strong to work through that. I want to like reemphasize something that you said, though, when that sort of situation happens, it is not the fault of you. It's the fault of your partner. Mm-hmm. And because I think so many women bring on guilt that, oh, my gosh, if I could have just done this better or if I could have just done this one thing then it wouldn't have happened. And really, like we are not responsible for the actions of our partner like they are responsible for those. Very true. Or even like you said earlier, Aaron, in, in your situation, what is wrong with me that I can't make this work? Right? And, right. and we start looking at this as an internal thing. And you really have to realize that sometimes it's just that we weren't compatible from the beginning, or maybe life has changed. I mean, we are allowed to grow and develop as people, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and if you think about mm-hmm. it as parents, we want our kids to grow and develop. And that doesn't mean we stop. Right. And then, you know, and then our partner either isn't going in the same direction or they stopped growing. That was actually our situation. I was growing a ton and he just, he's very even keeled and he's a great person. Like I still love him as a person. We're still best friends, but he stopped growing and, and I just felt like I was pulling him up the mountain and I'm like, I don't want to pull you up the mountain anymore. So you need to come with me Yeah. or I need to go on my own way. And that was, there was a lot of guilt about that. Like he's really a nice person. I hear women complaining about, you know, my partner doesn't pitch in. Um, my partner's lazy. My partner's disrespectful to me. And I didn't have any of that. So there's a lot of guilt around, I have this great partner that most women would die to have. So what's wrong with me that I can't make it work with this person? I think a lot of us kind of run into that in a lot of different situations. And even coming back to what you were just saying about how if you're in a relationship where you're being disrespected consistently, 
and, Mm -hmm. and your children are seeing behaviors that you don't want them to grow up and have, you have to really ask yourself, first of all, you know, it, 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 this is going to sound guilt-ridden, so I'm so sorry. And I'm, and I'm not trying to, so hang, hang with me, bear with me, people. But like, is there any con- contribution that I have to this? Is there something that I can do that will help raise our communication, help raise our, our relationship so that this one-sided, or at least I, you're seeing it as one-sided disrespect or whatever happening in the household can stop? And if it can't, like you've done everything you can, you've put everything into it. You're, you're being honest with yourself when you do have mistakes that you make and it's still not getting better. You have to really think about, is this what I want my children to see and to hold up as what a relationship should be? And if the answer is no, I don't want my child to be with somebody who disrespects them. I don't want my child to be with someone who treats their spouse like a second class citizen then that's when you do have to be as much as it breaks your heart. And I think I had this like great meme going through the divorce. It was like the hardest part of being a mom was holding it together when all I wanted to do was lay down and cry. Mm-hmm. And wow. right. And, and I feel like that describes a, a lot of us during divorce. Mm-hmm. Like we just want to lay down and just cry and sob and we can't. We're just picking up the kids from school and we're driving them to their stuff. And I'm just like, I'm holding it together. I'm holding it together. I'm going to see my friend in two hours. Right. I'm going to see my friend in two hours. <laughs> the times of three hours that I could just lay there and cry for a good hour. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, but you have to realize when to cut your losses and then show your children and show yourself the life that you know that you deserve to have going forward. I think and that's that very well said. And I just want to say, there's nothing wrong with introspection. I didn't think that sounded guilt-ridden at all. I think, you know, we always need to look at ourselves and what is my part in this? Right. If there is some, what is my responsibility in it? Because it's the only way we're going to grow as people, do better in relationships the next time is to look at what we could do better too. And so all we can do is work on ourselves. So for continuing to work on ourselves, whether the relationship is dying or, you know, it still has some legs is always a good thing to do because it's just going to serve us moving forward. Most definitely. And we've touched a little bit on uh, one of the other things that you mentioned helps kids during the divorce is parental mental health and making sure like taking care of yourself. You also mentioned socioeconomics are a factor. Can you like dig in a little bit more about that? When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. Hey, are you a parent of a teenager? Are you feeling overwhelmed about how to be what they need while also holding limits and boundaries that keep them safe? Are you tired of conversations that negate how messy this season of parenting is? 
Well, I've got you. My name is Casey O'Rourke. I am a positive discipline trainer, parent coach, and the host of the Joyful Courage podcast. Every week I come to you with an interview, digging into tough topics with experts I trust and solo shows that go deep into the personal growth and mindset needed to raise teens in a way that grows them into confident, capable young people. I am not afraid of getting real about the intersection of conscious parenting and the teen years, while also bringing in vulnerability, humor, and lightness. I'm walking the path with you and honored to serve. Listen to Joyful Courage on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. Yeah. So that's one of the factors that can affect kids. One of the four that can affect kids the most is socioeconomically, because as we know, when we get divorced, we're splitting households. We are now running two households. And so, you know, as someone who now just got a home um, that I'm going to buy, I'm thinking about all the furniture I have to buy, you know, yeah. two sets of clothes and, you know, not just the mortgage, but it's all the um, utilities and everything that goes along with taking care of a home. And we're, if we were together, we could have one nice big house, but we're splitting. And so, you know, in a lot of families, it's a really tough split because they're barely getting by on one income. And now what are they going to do? You know, how is that going to work? And so, you know, trying to keep that socioeconomic status, at least somewhat level for the kids where they're not feeling it so profoundly where all the, you know, where they used to go to this school and now they have to go to another one or where they used to have this vacation and now we can't afford this vacation or we can't afford your, you know, whatever your hobbies are that anymore, you can't afford your sports anymore. Like that was the last thing I wanted to tell my kids is I'm sorry, we can't afford that because I couldn't stay with your dad. I mean that talk about guilt. I know, right? <laughs> that, <laughs> so that brings up an interesting point because I know a few women I've seen who are very unhappy in relationships, they feel like they can't leave because of that socioeconomic burden because they have been the one to stay at home with the kids and they don't have a source of their own income. I have to say, I like, I have no solutions on how to fix that, but I think it would be extremely, extremely difficult. I think so too, but I also think, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. And so we can, you know, even if it looks like it's three or four years down the road, it's hard. Like that's just not easy to look that far down the road. But if we can and just say, I'm going back to school, I'm going to just figure it out. I'm going to go to night school. I actually have a, a close friend that went back to school in nursing mm. so that she could go and start working as a nurse and just afford her own home so that she didn't have to worry about it. I've got several friends who are moms who just had to figure out how to do that and make that work so that they could afford their own home and it to the level that they felt like was comfortable for them and their kids. Yeah. You bring up a great point about women making their own money because it's, it's such a fraught situation. Like it, it's something that we don't talk about very often, but like when you make your own money, you're in control of your life. Like no one tells you what you can do and what you can't do. And so just going out like your friend and going back and getting a degree in nursing and thinking like, okay, what can I do to make sure I can bring in an income and I can support myself is so, so important. It's actually one of the reasons, like I, I have a great relationship with my husband, so I just want to preface it with this, but like, <laughs> I love you, Josh. I love you. Great. I love you. I love you. Uh, but one of the reasons like I stopped teaching was because if anything ever happened to my husband's income, I knew I could not support my family on a teacher's salary. And it's such a hard decision to make when you think you're helping and when you want to contribute to society. And yet you're like, I can't do this 
and support my family at the same time. I need to figure out something else to do. It's scary. It's no, scary like, to give a little bit more background on mine. Like that was part of the reason I was there. Like I did not, my job that I had was very fulfilling, but it wasn't very much money. And I remember sitting there when we very first decided talking about divorce and I looked at the finances and I'm like, wow, I'm going on food stamps and state assistance because I don't have any savings because it was always put straight back into the family. It was really extremely terrifying. The only thing that saved me was that I had resources. I had family that was willing to take me and my kids in and let us save up some money and stuff like that. But it's scary. Those things are are serious. It is scary. And I've had this, you know, very similar. I mean, I was working for myself, but I had started this company and I did it while my kids were really little and in preschool. And, you know, you don't have a lot of time to build a company when your kids are in preschool. And so it took me years just to get it to where I could launch the website and do the podcast. And I still was like, I was finally starting to make a little bit of money when my kid's dad and I were talking about separating, but I did not have enough to run a second household at all. And as a self-employed person, you can't get a loan. Nobody gives you a loan unless you have like two or three years of really solid income. And so I, you know, I was, we had made certain arrangements with each other. I didn't want to take alimony or child support because, you know, we were already just running one household. And so me take, I felt like by taking that was just going to take away from the kids. And so we had an agreement. We would stay together, live in the same house while I built up my income. And so that's been a long, you know, three years for us. But I realized like when I sold the house over to him and he paid me out and I'm like, he could kick me out tomorrow. He doesn't have to, (laughs) he doesn't have to keep going with this agreement. He could just be like, ah, sucka. (laughs) (laughs) Another very scary moment. (laughs) So I was scared, but I trusted him enough to be like, he's not going to do that to his kid's mom. And it all worked out. And he was very patient and but yeah, that's scary. I'm like, he could just say, see you tomorrow. And I don't have an income to support. And I did have savings and I had some other resources, but there were some really scary times, right? As we were doing the paperwork, COVID hit and I did have some um, investments, but those investments just plummeted and I was freaking out right? because I'm like, this is what I'm going to live on. If he decides he's going to kick me out the door, <laughs> it's, it was a very scary time. Yeah, for sure. Socioeconomics definitely do have an impact on kids. And I feel like that is one of the big factors for women staying in a relationship that they're not happy in. Yeah. Oh, definitely. So we've touched on a low conflict process that helps kids during a divorce, the socioeconomics, parental mental health. And you say also that the quality of parenting also matters. Yes. So, you know, we have a certain level of parenting, quality of parenting in general, you know, throughout their childhood. And, but when this, you know, all these stresses will hit, especially divorce, which is probably a stressor, like most of us have never dealt with, unless we've dealt with something like cancer or something really big stressor. This is one of the biggest life stresses that there is. I mean, you know, like Bree said, we don't go into getting married saying, oh, we can just get divorced. That you don't do that. You think, I really, we're going to make this happen. We're going to make this work. This is a great partner. So when you have this realization and you're dealing with all of those emotions that go along with the blame and the shame and the guilt, and you're trying to work through all those, like it's really hard to keep your own affect in a way that you're not getting upset about little things that your kids do, you know, and, you know, trying to keep our parenting as much as we can at the same level of connection and warmth, saving those really troubling emotions for our therapist, for our friends, you know, like Brie said, when the kids go to bed and then you can fall apart, you know, keeping it together 
Not so hard. And really, yeah. it is. It is hard. It's definitely a, a practice in Zen. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, you know? I think like the the thread that I see through all of these is that you really need support when you're going through this process. You need you need the support of therapy. You need the support of good friends to really get you through it. And that people shouldn't expect to be able to do it on their own or keep it together all on their own and that it's okay to lean on others throughout the whole thing. Yeah, you have to. Agreed. I mean, like Brie, if I didn't have my girlfriends, I had, I think, three or four girlfriends that were either divorced or single moms who never got married. Um, and I had one who was also going through divorce at the same time as I was. And so having those women there, I, if one wasn't available, I'd call the next one and I'd call the next one until somebody was like, I can't right now, but I'll call you in an hour. I'd be like, okay, I can hang on for an hour. <laughs> right. No, same, the same here. Like I had my, my good core group of friends that, that knew me as mom and part of my family unit. And then I also had friends that they were more of acquaintances, but it just so happened that they were either going through a divorce at the same time or had recently been divorced. And then they became my rock as well. So like you had all these different people that you could go to. And sometimes you just needed just to not be alone. That that was my hardest part was when we finally separated, separated and not having my kids with me all the time anymore because I was the main caregiver. Yeah. So going from having my kids with me pretty much every waking moment, except for when they were at school to sometimes going like four to seven days without seeing them was just was hard. Yeah. That sounds hard. I haven't been there yet. <laughs> so oh, that's coming have, for me. You have your friends and your support. Just yes. remember that. So yes. And you, and yes. you eventually get forward and I'm all like, Hey, they're going to be gone next week. I can go to a concert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I can I clean the yeah. house and it's going to stay clean. <laughs> all the little things. <laughs> Yeah. So that I'm looking forward to. And I think, you know, going a day or two is probably good, but after that I can imagine where it's like, I miss my kids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Aaron, what now are you looking forward to that's happening in your life? Well, like I said, I'm in escrow for a home of my very own. So I'm very excited to like, you know, really hit the stigma of being a single mom, <laughs> living alone, single mom, but I'm really excited. My own space decorated the way I want you know, having my kids with me. And, you know, I do, I hope, look forward to dating at some point. It's fun. <laughs> it's different. I mean, I've, it's a little different. I've done some, but it's, yeah, I'm, I'd like to have a partner that is like that right fit and yeah. moving forward in life. So I think that'll be a fun adventure, but so I'm looking forward to that. And then just, you know, continuing just in growing as a person who I am learning more about me. So I've just bought a, a backpack and all the equipment. I'm going to start doing some backpacking. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. That's exciting. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Erin. It has been amazing. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. Erin had so, so many great points to share about the guilt surrounding a divorce. And I mean, it was it was a great episode. Yeah, and lots of great information for those parents that are going through it, like what we can do to make it better. So I love it. Love Thank it. you so much, Erin. <laughs> so remember, the best mom is a happy mom. Take care of you, and we will see you next time. Thanks for stopping by. Real truth alert.
Pregnancy, birth, and having a baby isn't all sunshine and rainbows. I wish it were. But the reality is that many people struggle and suffer through this time without the right help or even knowing what they're dealing with. I'm perinatal psychologist Dr. Katayun Kayani, also known as Dr. Kat. My podcast, Mom and Mind, aims to shine a light on the difficult reality that so many hopeful and new parents experience and raise the volume on how we can better support mental health, which is a big part of our overall health. Episodes include personal stories from people who have healed through things like pregnancy and postpartum anxiety, depression, PTSD, and so much more. I also talk with specialists and experts who explain and educate on these conditions. All of this to support parents to know that they are not alone, that healing is possible, and there are resources that can help you today. Listen into Mom and Mind and walk with me through the world of perinatal mental health.